0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armaza. Our guest today is Scott Sobel, co-founder and managing partner of Valor Capital Group, a cross-border venture fund focused on Brazil and the US with offices in New York, Silicon Valley and Sao Paulo. In This episode, we discuss Scott's journey and why him and his father, Ambassador Clifford Sobel, decided to launch Valor focusing on the Brazilian market, investing strategy and case studies from some of their most exciting portfolio companies, the incredible fintech opportunity in Brazil and Latin America, what's driving their big bets in the crypto space, lessons learned from over a decade of investing and the importance of staying with your winners, and a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy this absolutely fascinating conversation with Scott Sobel. Well, Scott, welcome to the Wharton Fintech
1: Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Sunny day here in California, and uh, kind of glued to my uh, my computer screen and, and doing Zooms all day. But I, I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, it's a sign of the times. I it's a, it's a sunny day in the
0: East Coast as well. And right? uh, well. Scott, th- thanks for joining. You know, I know we've been meaning to have this conversation for a while, so I'm excited to get you on on the show. Right? We we've had quite a few of investors, also a lot of entrepreneurs, of course. But when it comes to investors, you know, and and I think about Latin America, and specifically when I think about Brazil, I mean Valor is certainly you know one of the first funds that I think of when you know the Brazilian conversation comes about so so maybe you we can start there right maybe you can tell us about valor and tell us about Brazil right I mean clearly this has been a, a fantastic opportunity and then it's worked out from a business point of view but you know you you also have to like the
1: culture to be there so maybe we can start with Brazil I'm happy to. Thanks. And thanks for um, recognizing our name coming up in in conversations around venture capital and in Brazil. Uh, First and foremost, my family has been living in Brazil since 2005. Uh, My father was the former U.S. ambassador to Brazil. Um, I had been doing a a lot of work over there running the emerging markets for NCR. And uh, it's just a country that we've uh, fallen in in love with. Uh, We feel like we've been adopted by Brazil and Brazilians, which has been great. And uh, in 2010, 2011, um, we founded the firm. uh, And we really founded the firm as a a pioneer cross-border investment firm, bridging the U.S. and Brazilian tech markets. I like to say our, our firm was founded on ambassadorship, but now it's fully sustained by experts as well. We have the great pleasure to be able to build on what I think my Father did a tremendous job of being a bridge between two great countries. He did it in the public sector. We now get to do that in the the private sector and specifically within the tech and growth economies in which we're deeply entrenched and and, and passionate about. We were initially attracted to the market opportunity because Brazil is is large, it's connected, it's engaged. It's the uh, fourth largest digital economy in the world. And at the time we started investing, it was completely underserved from a venture capital standpoint. There wasn't venture capital in the market. And over the past decade, I think we've built a world-class partnership. A few of our partners uh, were the, the former COO of Google in Latin America, as well as Asia PAC. Another uh, one of our partners uh, was the managing director of PayPal, uh, throughout Latin America, um, we have a, a former CTO of Univision and Viacom as another partner. So we've got a great partnership. And we're also now uh, about 18 investment professionals sitting across three geographies, uh, Sao Paulo, New York, and, and Silicon Valley, which is core to our strategy. And we have fully institutionalized our capital base. We have some uh, world-class investors um, from the Royal Bank and IFC and Inter-American Development Bank to folks like Tomasic and SoftBank. And... And large influential families still make up about 40% of our capital base. We've raised a series of funds. We're on our fourth fund, and we've reached over a billion of AUM over that period of time. But I got to tell you, Miguel, one of the things that I'm most proud of is that we've built a really strong brand and culture that resonate with entrepreneurs and investors as a trusted party, collaborative, high-value-add. And I think that ultimately, your, your reputation is everything. And that's one of the things that uh, means a lot to us. But all of that's uh, translated into us being a, a top uh, decile performing fund, which I'm, I'm really proud of as well. Happy to go into more or whatever direction you, you'd like to take on that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack for sure. And just thinking about Brazil and, and the venture capital scene. I mean, we all know that today it's pretty active. But that was not the case 12 years ago or so when you got started. And, and also, when I think about international funds, right, funds with a presence in more than one country, right, the ones focusing on Brazil also weren't that many back then, right? Um, so maybe we can talk a bit about that and also about some of the lessons learned over the past 12 years, specifically in Brazil.
1: Yeah, sure. So we founded Valor in Brazil and we're dedicated to the market. So I see us as a, a local fund. Uh, with that said, as I mentioned, we have a, a presence in, in New York and in, in Silicon Valley, which is important to us. And, and I can dive into that a little bit more, uh, but the, the view is that we believe international connectivity is, is really key to unlocking value in emerging markets, in Brazil, and therefore throughout Latin America uh, as well. And so, our, our cross-border strategy evolved over over time. It, early days, it was about you know supporting uh, a company from the U.S. to enter the, the Brazilian market or a Brazilian company to go global. But it evolved into bringing in additional capital flows into into Brazil uh, over and beyond ours. Our portfolio company of over seventy companies now has attracted over $3.5 billion in follow-on funding. So that was meaningful because if us and, and the other local investors in the market, you know, uh, where there was a scarcity of capital, weren't able to continue to invest in the companies, our companies would have not had the runways to grow and appreciate the way that they have. In addition to the capital flows, it's the intellectual capital, bringing in you know, some additional knowledge and know-how into the companies. I mean, we've put many C-level people you know, from around the world into our, our Brazilian companies, and we've uh, brought some incredible people onto the boards. For instance, Oscar Salazar, who's the technical co-founder of that uh, joined us early in X and sits on the board, and there's many other cases of that. Ultimately, it's about being able to sit in multiple markets and arbitrage those markets from a uh, entry to exit multiple and, and valuations between those markets. And we've seen that both in, in, the, in the private and the, in the public markets and the outcomes there. Um, so we think you know, our strategy lends itself to that. And back to your, your question about the ecosystem, you know, because we were there, we've really seen it evolve over this last decade uh, across the spectrum. You have more players now on the, on the earlier stage side, a few more uh, seed funds there, um, and you've had um, several players come into the, the growth stage. And I think that the the guys that were there over this last you know decade within that Series A continue to be there and have um, built out their portfolios and their track record. And so um, that stayed you know pretty much the same. But it's it's been incredible. And I would also add to that, it's not just from the investor standpoint, the talent pool. The t- it's not just the quantity. Of opportunity, it's the quality of opportunity and the quality of the entrepreneurs. The talent has really gone up dramatically. You've seen an extremely high rate of repatriation of, for instance, Brazilian Brazilians that studying abroad going back to Brazil to either start their businesses or be part of the startup ecosystem. So capital follows talent, right? And so that's, I think, what we're seeing. And it follows outcomes. There's been some pretty big outcomes, which you know, we're pleased that happened in the, in the market. That's exciting to hear. And now, at the end of the day, Scott,
0: this is a fintech focused show, right? So maybe we can talk a bit about fintech, which I know is uh, very close to your heart. Yeah, I was just looking at your at your website, and you have invested in companies like Stone, GIA, Bolso, Loft, and and these are all you know very big players today in the fintech scene, right? Maybe. Tell us about your, your fintech strategy right and, and why did you get interested in this space in the first place?
1: Sure. I don't think it's a secret anymore around the Brazilian or LATAM Fintech opportunity and it's for uh, several factors in the interest of time I'll, I'll just kind of maybe highlight a few of them. Um, one, it's it's the size of the market. you know Brazil and Mexico have over 340 million people you know combined. Are the two largest economies in, in the region, and uh, a large percentage of that population is unbanked or underbanked. I think in, in Mexico, it's it's around 50%. and In Brazil, it's uh, north of 25%. And so there's a huge financial inclusion opportunity. On top of that, um, these economies are largely still cash-based. In Brazil, over 70% of payments are with paper money. Now, through the pandemic that has moved more digital and will continue to and I'll, and I'll comment on that but uh, there's huge opportunities for digital payments in in the region also there's been a large concentration with the incumbent banks right so uh, from a, a market share perspective i think in in brazil the top five banks in brazil have 80 percent market share and historically these banks have served the affluent And therefore, these banks are highly profitable. So there has been little incentive to change. Um, That has created an opportunity in the market. And and I can give you a great example. One of our companies, Stone, that you referenced, which um, is a a merchant, acquirer and and payments platform, similar to Square uh, in the U.S. Actually, Stone did a IPO in in 2018 on the NASDAQ, and it was uh, one of the largest fintech IPOs in history. It was co-anchored by Warren Buffett and Jack Ma and uh, went out about $9 billion, has traded up to over $30 billion. We were one of the, the early investors, I'm, I'm really proud to say. But uh, Stone and a few other of the new entrances in the payment space in Brazil have captured over 20% market share over the last five plus years, right? Uh-huh. So that's just illustrative of the opportunity uh, in the market the third thing I would just comment on is that the regulatory environment is fostering and opening up the market. So the Brazilian Central Bank um, has uh, an aggressive uh, or progressive, I should say, you know, posture um, into uh, their open banking uh, initiatives uh, highlighted by the, the PIX platform. I don't know if you're familiar with, with PIX, but they've been able to initiate over 170 million keys or digital accounts for instantaneous payment. These are like Venmo accounts in less than a year, uh, which is massive. So that's a huge shift of people bringing them into the, call it the digital economy. And the central bank has been uh, very clear about their plans to launch a digital currency, a central bank digital currency by 2022. So that's that's super exciting. So that's the, the macro backdrop of the fintech opportunity in the country and what has excited us about investing. It's been our core concentrations of, of investment since we've started. Yeah, you, you mentioned picks, you know, real time payments. The
0: execution and then rollout, I gotta think there's probably some some case studies being written right now about it, right? And then this testament to, you know, the success of, of a progressive regulator. So that's that's exciting to see. And I know that's also has given rise to new startups, right, which obviously is uh, an evolving ecosystem. How about the road ahead, right? When when you think of fintech in Brazil, right, I mean, the last decade has been about banking the unbanked and about, you know, B2C initiatives and new bank leading the way with many others along. You know, how about the next wave Right. Like what are, what are some of those verticals that you
1: are excited about going forward? Sure. Appreciate that. And you know, it's interesting. Brazil you know, tends to, to follow other markets, U.S. and, and Europe in and, and some areas. And then they're also, I think, because of the unique characteristics of, of Brazil and, and the region, you know, there's um, some first mover opportunities. Um, interest rates uh, and the way that they've come down dramatically over a relatively short period of time is uh, really changing the entire uh, investing landscape. And I think there's a huge opportunity from a, just a, continues to be a huge opportunity from a pure financial education and literacy standpoint, as well as a wealth management standpoint. I think we're still early days from that area. And then if you look at some markets, like a big theme of ours is more around uh, applied technology. So there's pockets of, of deep tech in, in Brazil and throughout, throughout the region, but a lot of it's applied tech. A lot of it's applying technology to these really large and fragmented and inefficient uh, industries um, where you, you can drive huge productivity gains and cost savings and so forth. And So if you look at the real estate market in Brazil, it's a massive market. But believe it or not, there's no MLS in the country. There's not a central database that's organizing the industry, a company of ours, Loft, for instance, is helping organize the market. You know, they're doing it through their marketplace side of the business, but also their eye buying side of the business. We we just think there's a lot of opportunity around that inefficiency in, in the industry, and so uh, that's another area. Listen, we also view fintech as a horizontal. Fintech is touching every every industry, and so you could look at you know fintech within healthcare and fintech within Education and uh, logistics, for instance. One of our, one of our companies, uh, I, I mentioned earlier, Cargo X, you know, is uh, digitizing the trucking industry. And there's over a million independent truckers in Brazil. I think there's over 600,000 of them on, on Cargo X's platform. Well, think about the opportunity to create a bank for those truckers or provide financial services for those truckers, insurance and lending. And so, so Cargo X is, is doing that. Olist is doing the same thing. Olist is a kind of a dual-sided business, and kind of like a, a Shopify meets Etsy business in, in Latin America, and they have you know thousands of small merchants on their platform. Well, listen, I think you have the ability to now lend, um, provide working capital, and, and other types of financial services to those merchants. So this fintech is a horizontal, is something that's a theme of ours that um, that we like a lot, and and there's some other there's some other exciting areas around. Uh,
0: fintech uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, one of like, two of my favorite examples, I guess, across the region, uh, you know, Mercado Libre, right? They they started as an e-commerce platform and now I think over 50% is, of the revenue comes from the fintech side, right, which is pretty meaningful and then similar story with Rappi uh, all across the region. Their, their, yeah. their fintech arm keeps growing Yes. Um, and now, we cannot talk about fintech without exploring your crypto strategy. Yeah. Because I, I know that you have dedicated a lot of time resources and resources in crypto. And, you know, uh, I also know you had some great successes, uh, very recent ones, in fact. So may- maybe uh, tell us about the, that, that side of the business.
1: Yeah, I know you and I have been talking a lot about that uh, recently, and I was, I was going to let you tee that up. I, I didn't want to jump right into it because that's a, a long um, and fun conversation. And we've been investing in, in crypto for a while. And, and I, I like to say kind of crypto, digital assets, blockchain. I group it all into one when I say crypto. But we believe blockchain and crypto are a force for good in society. These are on ramps for financial inclusion. It democratizes opportunity. Also, back to kind of where, you know, my early kind of uh, where I, you know, cut my teeth in being an entrepreneur at Netophone. I it's somewhat analogous to, to us at, at Netaphone, where Netaphone was just voice over IP. And uh, we the company, we, we were part of the founding team and, and we took it public on the NASDAQ in the, in the 1.0 boom. And it was a great experience. And when you're looking at crypto, it's, it's money over IP. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And so... We developed a, an early and, I would say, simple strategy at, at Valour in which we wanted to invest in the best talent and projects going after massive opportunities, but the opportunities are really focused on helping uh, the technology cross the chasm and go mainstream. That's it. It's like, what are the platforms that are going to help mass adoption of currencies and digital assets the technologies? And um, just yesterday, we're coming off of a historic day. Um, So Coinbase uh, did a direct listing on the NASDAQ. A watershed moment for the entire industry. We happen to have invested in Coinbase's Series C round, and we've been helping them navigate the legal and regulatory environment in Brazil and and helping them with their international expansion in in Brazil and and throughout the region um, ever since our investment in in their Series C round in, in 2014. And it's been a great learning experience for us to be partners with them. And and I think we've been able to provide a little bit of of value. But that investment and that strategy that I just mentioned allowed us to invest in some other great companies. Um, So we then started looking at this this, uh, stablecoin space and we invested in Celo. And Celo is is not only a, a stablecoin, but it's also really playing into the decentralized finance area, the DeFi area now, and it's designed to reduce volatility and, and make crypto more transactional. And a great example, actually, of one of the applications that are built on top of Cello is now tokenizing the rainforest in the Amazon, which is which is a super cool uh, initiative when you think about it and bridge between climate and crypto and the Amazon, which is, is super cool. Another great example, you've probably have been hearing a lot around what's happening with the, the NFT craze um, with uh, digital uh, trading cards and music and art. Um, so we invested in, in dapper, which were the um, creators of crypto kitties that recently also created NBA's top shop. and uh, we also as part of that investment in, invested in flow, which is their blockchain that allows developers to build decentralized applications over the blockchain and that has done tremendously well. We're super excited about that. As well, so so where does Brazil fit in this? So Brazil is the, one of the one of the largest market for for crypto assets, the second or third largest market uh, globally. Brazilians are early adopters of technology; um, they help shape uh, behaviors around these solutions, and not only for Brazil and and emerging markets, for but for developed markets too. So we we really like this from a cross border fund being at the cross section of what's happening with what I think is one of the most transformative technologies and you know, in the the last 25 years and the market opportunity in Brazil.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you are focused on backing the enablers, right? Uh, The companies that are helping all this magic happen, right? And then giving access to to crypto. Um, I think you have an interesting point of view because you sit in between the U.S. and Brazil, quite literally, right? So when you kind of look at the market and see how the market is reacting in the US to crypto, and then you you see what's going on in Brazil, like how would you compare and contrast it?
1: Yeah, just on, on the crypto thing, it's still early innings. I mean, Bitcoin white paper was in, in 2008. I think now the asset class more broadly is becoming institutionalized. But when you think about it, there's not tens of thousands of companies globally that are innovating in the space, it's, you know, thousands, thousands, right? So we're super early innings of it. And I just think there's higher value use cases in Brazil and throughout Latin America than even in the developed markets. So I just think there's massive amount of opportunities. And we're we're seeing now and we're investing in some startups that are super talented, you know, visionary guys with you know, serial entrepreneurs that have uh, uh, great execution capabilities that are going after this opportunity. Listen, the technology is attracting the talent too. You know, the, you know, Some of the smartest people are spending the time in this space for, for good reason.
0: Absolutely. And I see it with people around me. And thinking about your portfolio companies, I mean, you have dozens, What glues them together, right? What are maybe some of the
1: common traits that you see across your portfolio companies? It's interesting. The region has, and where these entrepreneurs are operating in, has um, created some of those common traits, right? So previously, there was a scarcity of venture capital in the marketplace. I think last year was the first year venture capital in the region, or no, sorry, specifically in Brazil surpass private equity but you got to remember where everyone came from so where there's scarcity of capital you had to build more capital efficient business models right you had to find ways to extend your runways and go to market differently where you potentially you weren't just even if you were a a b2c or b2b to c company you weren't just you know throwing money into marketing so you had to be creative and that's where businesses like GymPass came from right Gympass, which has become the largest global wellness benefits program, started in Brazil, has now expanded around the world, regionally, then to Europe, then to the US, and now Asia. But the business model, the business model innovation came from, hey, listen, we had to find a more creative way to market this, this benefit, you know, this wellness benefit. And so, and I say so the founder of Gympass said, let's, let's, go to, let's go to companies, corporations, offer it to their employees as a benefit. So now it's not just your health which is more emergency and dental, but now you have a real wellness plan. So these guys are now a category defining company. We were we partnered with, with Sacer and the company at a you know seed stage and led the A and sub- been supporting ever since. But so I just say that as I think that has been a common view approach of many of our early entrepreneurs and I think it's really been uh, beneficial to them. Now the difference between the U.S. And, and maybe there's a little bit of a change of view on this now with more capital coming in the market in the U.S., a, a good friend of mine said the other day, the velocity of capital is the new moat. Right. And so well, I think there's a view of that. If you're a first mover, you know, go and go in your market. So I think there's a, a convergence on that. But those are some differences between, you know, the U.S. and more developed markets and in Brazil. And just hopefully that gives you a perspective on where the mindset has been from the entrepreneurs in Brazil and maybe where it may be migrating towards. And we try to keep it in in the middle there. How about fellow investors? What would you tell a
0: U.S. investor that's considering making an investment in in Brazil or Latin America? Right. What are some of the, the key differences that they should be aware of?
1: Yeah. So we've been. I think I said it earlier, we're very collaborative. We've been encouraging our, our good friends from the U.S. and Andreessen, for example, and and many others um, to look at the market. And it comes back to, listen, the size of the opportunity, size of the market. Brazilian companies don't have to go global to be big. There's a really large domestic economy there that we talked about. And, uh, and as I said earlier, you know, capital follows talent and the talent is there. It's just, it, there's no, no question. There used to be questions around you know, um, the scarcity of engineering talent. Well, that's no, not, not the case anymore. The top universities there and abroad are, are producing great engineers. And, and so that's not an issue. I think we're now starting to see also, I used to say there's been a little bit of a gap in the mid-level managers of companies or high growth sales leadership. But I you're starting to see a migration from you know traditional professions into the startup ecosystem. So that's happening and and you know people from abroad are now coming into companies that you know help on the, the scale-up phase of businesses. So so you're talking about you know large market, town pools there, you know, it's reached escape velocity in the sense that it's I think the asset class is fully institutionalized. You're seeing large institutions play in the market too. And they followed those examples, the, the outcomes that I'm talking about. So I think it's a great market to come and invest in and participate in. And the market is maybe maybe it's because our approach of being collaborative. But I do really feel like the market is collaborative, right? There's so much opportunity. And what's great about it is not only can you be investing in, in companies that are, are transforming the market, but by doing that, you're having a major social economic impact to society. You see it firsthand uh, in doing this, which is, you know, I would call it the double bottom line about doing all this and and something that really drives you and makes you feel good about what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm certainly there with you. The the opportunity is massive. And I also encourage people to take a look at, uh, at the region. Now, you doing this for a long time comes with challenges and lessons learned and, and mistakes, right? When you look back at some of the mistakes you've made and, and that you've learned from,
1: right, what, what comes to mind? Yeah, um, there are a lot of lessons learned and, and it's, um, it, for me, it comes down to a couple of things. And I've heard a lot of people talk about uh, errors of or mistakes of omission versus commission, right? And, um, you know, for us, We've been very fortunate to partner with some incredible entrepreneurs that have done some extraordinary things, and it's really pressing your winners, right? Right. If you have an investment like Stone or Coinbase or GymPass, it's it's getting in early and, and continuing to you know press your winners and stay stay with them you know as long as you can from a uh, capital investment standpoint and advisory and, and support standpoint and. And, um, you know, we, we kind of course corrected on that, you know, from, from some of those experiences and early days, either our, you know, our funds were on the smaller side or you hit your concentration limits early, or you had for one reason or the other, not wanting to do another capital call because we're sensitive to that early days. And, and so we missed some of those opportunities to pressure winners. And as I was saying, we course corrected by raising or launching a opportunity fund to allow, allow us to stay with our companies uh, longer. We also have flexibility to do what I call later stage later stage venture, early stage growth uh, investments too. But that was the learning that we've had and kind of how we now course corrected and are um, filling that. But uh, stay with your winners for as long as you can.
0: That's really good advice, particularly for emerging managers. Great, so Scott, one question we love to ask to our guests uh, literally every single episode is maybe to talk a bit about your personal side and talk about your hobbies, right? And I know you have some some great hobbies. So maybe you could share some
1: of those. Well, um, I love what I do as a, a venture capitalist, first and foremost. And a, a big personal passion of mine is is mentoring. I feel like that's a, a big part of what we do as as venture capitalists. I'm also on the, on the board of uh, mentor.org, which is an umbrella organization for mentoring in the U.S. And um, it's it lobbies uh, the hill on, on, on policy and, and it really organizes the entire mentoring uh, ecosystem in the U.S. So I'm proud to be able to do that. I'm proud to be able to do it with our entrepreneurs in, in Brazil. Outside of my day job and, and that, I love to surf and I practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Those are my two big things. Uh, I love being in the, the environment, in the ocean, I love now doing it with my kids. It's there's nothing better than being in the outdoors, in the ocean, and and doing it with your your, your kids. Also, I've gotten them into jujitsu, and I think martial arts is, is really good for them and and us. And teaches discipline and respect and and uh, a lot of my adopted Brazilian roots now. You've clearly
0: assimilated to, to the culture.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, cannot
0: thank you enough for doing this, super interesting, everything that you're doing, everything that's going on in Brazil and Latin America. And I'm, I'm sure we'll be crossing paths a lot more. And obviously something that I tell all of our guests as well is, you know, now there's an open invitation for you to stop by campus, particularly post-corona.
1: Well, count on it. I, I look forward to doing that. I look forward to um, collaborating in, in the market and um, hopefully this was helpful, insightful and much appreciated. You bet. Thank you, Scott. You got it, Miguel.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Warton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our FinTech community, Please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. We also want to extend a special thank you to our show editor, Rafael Ostria. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.